Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Listen now for the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do so, this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word of God for the people of God. I was in our local Goodwill uh, about a week ago, bulk buying toddler shorts, because we are potty training Asher. And it turns out you can think you have enough toddler shorts, and then you start potty training your beloved, and you realize, I need about a dozen more of these just for today. And so I was there getting every size that might fit him, and I have this pile of them. I'm standing in line, and the woman way down the way at the very end motions me over, but she kind of did it like this because she was on the phone. Thought, uh, you know, I'm patient. I can wait. But she's like, oh, it's okay. Come on. So I go over there, and she's on the phone, and she's, it's a personal phone. It was her iPhone. And I'm not trying to eavesdrop, right? But we have this counter separating us, and there's only so much you can do to not listen, right? Like, I'm not, I didn't bring my phone in. I can't, you know, I'm waiting. And um, so I'm not, I'm trying not to overhear or to listen in, but she's, you know, scanning things and computer and talking very heatedly to the person on the phone. And what I can tell you is I think it was her child, um, maybe a young adult child, and so I was, just, I was just saying, God, please be with this family, you know, just quietly praying for them. And near the end, she hangs up the phone, and she kind of put it down like this, right? And she, she looks at me, and she's like, she picks up a pair of shorts, and she goes, I bet you they tell you it gets easier, don't they? <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to tell her, oh, honey, I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, so I know, right? I, I was just like, whoa, well, I don't know what to say in this situation, right? She scans it a little bit angry and taps it in. She goes, let me tell you something. It doesn't. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so uplifting here at Goodwill today. And I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I know it's hard, right? And she goes, they just say they'll get to be adults and it's better. And I want to tell you, it never gets better. I was like, this is unbelievable, right? But this is also goodwill. I can't be like, hey, come into my office and we'll talk about this. You know, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm sorry. And she goes, I think because I was responding and offering comfort, she continues. And she says, you know what I could do? To make the world a better place, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because now it's taking a positive turn, right? Now we're going to, like, how do we redeem this? She goes, I could go around and tell young couples before they have kids, she shakes my, you know, shorts again, don't do it. <laughs> I was like, ha, ha, ha. She goes, I'm serious. I was like, she said, it would really make the world a better place. I was 
I'm glad our parents did not hear your talk before they had us, right? Like, um, and I just, I just said, you know, let, let's all hope it is hard. Let's hope it gets better. I didn't know what to say. There's a line. I have to go. I take my, because you know they don't give you a bag, so you just have to carry your stuff out. And I'm carrying it, and I'm thinking, you know, what was that? Because it was crazy. Here I am, clearly with a little person, and she's like, this is the worst decision you've ever made. You know, like, what is she, what was going on? And I thought, well, she probably realized I'm a mom. She clearly realized that. And so I get that it's hard. So she was just trying to share her pain with somebody who could understand. And I do get it, you guys. I get it. But if I'd had time to talk to her, I would have helped her see, I would have tried to help her see that we have this great God who gave us these children, who doesn't call them the worst mistake you will ever make, right? God knows it's hard. But when the Bible speaks of children, the Bible talks about them as a gift and a blessing, and so what God would have us do as parents is acknowledge that it's hard and help us through those times and then help us celebrate the really wonderful stuff because there is some really wonderful stuff in there. So make it through the hard times, celebrate the wonderful times. And to do that, as I look throughout the Bible, um, first of all, y'all kind of brushed on this. I think it was this service that last week was like, tell me about a good marriage. And you're like, Mary and Joseph. I'm like, no, we're talking about them this week as parents. Because not all the parents in the Bible, most of the parents in the Bible have a hard time. But when you want to see a great example of what godly parents are like and what we could learn from them, then I want us to talk about Mary and Joseph, even though it isn't Christmas, right? We're going to talk about them. We're going to look at them and we're going to see what they did right, how they got through some hard things, how they overcame, right? And we're also going to look, before we do that, at a couple of myths of parenting. I want the Bible to dispel them for you. Okay, Mary and Joseph show us two things we absolutely do not need as parents. And that's where I want to start, to just liberate us, break off a few burdens, and some, correct some misperceptions in society, right? The first thing that you do not need, despite what your children tell you, to raise them effectively is just piles and piles and piles of money. Okay, I know they say you need that. I know they say they need a million things and the latest everything, and your car is not cool enough. I know they say this to you. Um, but... The Bible tells us that throughout all of time, um, every couple in history, God had to pick two parents to be the parents of his son. He could have picked anybody, anybody with power or status, with a lot of wealth who could provide in an amazing way. And God chose Mary and Joseph. They were very poor, very poor. In all of the pictures that we have in our minds and that we see of Mary and Joseph at Christmas time as they're making that journey, you know, that, that week-long journey from Nazareth in the north all the way down to Bethlehem for the census, we see them and we see Joseph and Mary, and Mary is riding on what? A donkey. The Bible does not mention a donkey. Did you know that? There's no donkey in the Bible story. We give her a donkey because we feel like, how could you not? How could you make that journey? They, I am almost, I mean, it, there could have been a donkey, right? But the Bible doesn't say there was, and it would have been almost impossible to imagine that Mary and Joseph could have afforded a donkey. 
Because they were like the F-350 duallys of the day, right? The brand new 2020, like Mary and Joseph probably couldn't have afforded that. Remember Jesus borrows a donkey when he comes in his triumphant entry on Palm Sunday? She probably walked nine months pregnant. The other thing we see about them and their poverty, and remember the Bible isn't shouting it at us, it's just when we look at it, we realize that when they go to Bethlehem, certainly it's crowded, but they don't get a room. They don't stay with someone in a guest room. They, don't, they can't rent a room. Someone puts them up in the stable part of their homes. So no rented room, no, no even guest room. Uh, part of that is their poverty. Part of it it's, is they're full. Bethlehem's very full. Um, the final thing that we see is when they go to offer the traditional offering, like if you were a Jewish family and you had your firstborn child, you would go to the temple and you would make a Thanksgiving offering and you would buy a lamb to offer as Thanksgiving for your firstborn child. Well, Mary and Joseph go and they make the offering, but they do not buy a lamb. Do you remember what they bring? Two doves. In Leviticus, God had said, if you were extremely poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring two doves, which everybody could afford. It was the pauper's offering. And we have to remember that Mary and Joseph brought the pauper's offering. And especially when you live where we live, you live in Lake Travis, our kids go to Lake Travis schools, we can start thinking that we have to get them the best tutors and we have to get them into every elite sport, even if it's killing us, and we have to, whatever shoes it is that they need, want, you know, whatever pants, whatever is the cute thing, whatever experiences, can we take them and have those experiences? We want to do the best for our kids, we do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you hear that voice that says, you have to provide, Money, more money, more money, work harder, more money. That is not of God. God didn't pick Mary and Joseph because they could provide more, more, more money, material wealth, possessions for his son. He chose them because they could provide the heart and the direction and the model of faith. And so please do not stress. God provides what we need. God always gives us enough. God gets us through the hard times. Let that voice, tell that voice, just be quiet. If it's oppressing you, be quiet. That's not of God. God asks for this, not this, for your kids. The second myth that Mary and Joseph dispel is the myth that we need to be perfect as parents. And I know none of us would, would say that out loud, well, I'm trying to be perfect. But there are those voices in your head when you mess up that are saying, you screwed up, and now your child is going to be talking about this in therapy on a couch in 20 years, right? They're going to be talking about you because you screwed up, right? God does not ask us to be perfect. He even didn't expect it from Mary and Joseph. Think about it. We have one story from Jesus' childhood. One story that made it into the Bible. And it is the time Mary and Joseph screwed up royally. Royally. They lost the Son of God for three days. Three days. He was 12 years old. They lost him in the capital city. Now, have y'all ever had that heart-stopping moment as parents where you realize you have either forgotten to pick up a child or you have left them or they have gotten out of your sight? 
And then you look around, and in 20 minutes, it's probably sorted, right? Three days, 12 years old, they lost him. Okay, this is a big mess up. And it's in there in the Bible to tell us where he was, that he was teaching the rabbi in the temple, right? 12 years old teaching the rabbi. But it's also this lovely little reassuring caveat for anyone who is a parent that imperfection is okay, that we do our very best, our very best, and sometimes we mess up. And when we do, we say, God, I'm sorry. We maybe apologize to our kids. Jesus, I'm sorry we left you here in Jerusalem on your, you know? And then we take the next faithful step, and we know that God is filling in with our weaknesses, that we are going to make it. So um, you don't need this, right? You need this. And mistakes are not fatal. Okay, we're going to do our best, but we're going to know that mistakes are not fatal. So what is it that we do need as parents? Well, Mary and Joseph are pretty good at telling us what we do need. And I think this applies throughout the ages that you're parenting. Now, the first thing, the most important thing that God wants us to provide is here. It's to take the faith that the kids learn in their Bibles, that the kids learn in Sunday school, that the kids are talking about here at church and to show them what it is to live it out, to live out our faith before our children. And I talk to y'all, I have at Christmas a lot about Mary and how um, Mary's beautiful example of God says, will you do this incredible, dangerous, uh, risky thing where you don't, you know this thing, but you don't know how it's going to unfold. So it's this total unknown. And she says, yes, not knowing if, if it'll cost her her reputation. Surely it might cost her her life. She doesn't know how Joseph, I mean, she says yes. And we see her modeling the faith and sticking by Jesus all the way to the cross. Throughout his life, she's there. But I find that the one that we don't talk about as much is Joseph. He is a really amazing father. And again, you see this in a story that you might not understand if you don't dig into the cultural stuff. And once, when I did in seminary, it just came alive to me. So in the scripture that Pastor Matt read, uh, we hear that, we hear the story. Okay, so let me give you some background. When Jewish couples became engaged, it was an arrangement between not just the, the groom and the bride, but between their families. It was an agreement that, yes, these two are good for each other. And um, the groom's family and the groom would provide a bride price or a dowry to the bride's family. And it was substantial, especially if you're poor. They would have been saving since Joseph was this big, trying to get enough for this so that their son could get married to an upstanding person, an upstanding woman. And so they give the dowry, and that is the woman's um, life insurance, basically, Something happens to her husband, then she still has some property because, as we know, it was really hard for widows and orphans. So that's, that's going to help her. It is hers, right? And the family keeps it while the groom then, now that they're engaged, the groom goes back to his father's house and begins to add on a room where this couple will live. So the engagement lasts as long as the groom needs to build this room in his free time. He's working still, but he's adding on to his father's house. Have you ever wondered why Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms, I have prepared a place for you, right? That's what he's talking about. That's the metaphor he's using. So Joseph is building their home. And while he is doing that, he gets word, either through 
gossip in the community, or maybe it was a shame-faced member of Mary's family that comes to him and says, it looks like Mary's pregnant. Now, Joseph, of course, is struck through the heart, crushed because Mary has been unfaithful to him. Mary has cheated on him. As, I mean, he is in a tailspin. He thinks about it. He prays about it. God hasn't told him yet what's going on, that this is divine, right? This is the Holy Spirit doing this. He doesn't know that. He assumes what every guy would, that she's cheated on him. How, he doesn't know how that can be, but that's, he, she's pregnant. So it is. And then he's faced with a choice. Mostly, if this ever happened, it rarely did, a Jewish man would bring charges against his fiance. And the council in the city would try that woman. She's pregnant, so she would have been found guilty. And she could have been sentenced to death by stoning. He would get his dowry back, and he could go on and marry somebody else. But while he's thinking about this, Joseph decides to, do, to divorce Mary quietly. So what that means is he won't bring public charges against her. He'll spare her life, but it also means he cannot get his dowry back. So in making this choice, Joseph is sparing Mary's life at the expense of his own he will never be able to afford to get married. He will never have children. The community, because he didn't bring a formal accusation against her, and that's what you did, the community will then assume that the baby is his and that he's run out on her. Otherwise, he would have gotten his dowry back. And so his reputation in the community will be ruined. He does all this without knowing that she's innocent. He does all this while thinking that she's guilty of cheating. He treats her with such deep compassion and sacrificial love. Do you see why God picked Joseph to be the father, the earthly father of his son? to model sacrificial love, to model how it is you treat people who have wronged you. Jesus would teach on these topics again and again, and I promise you, he saw them lived out in his earthly father's life. He saw Joseph and Mary putting their faith into action. The deepest gift you can give your kids is to let you see, let them see what it's like to live out your faith. Just that, right? They go and they learn it in Sunday school. Help them see. You encounter hardships. Help them know how to pray when they're struggling. Help them see you do that. How to forgive people when they hurt you. Let them see that in you. How to be generous when you could keep it all to yourself. Let them see it. God has given your children, you guys, for, it's more than 18 years, right? For life. 
They're your kids for life. And they're, you're always their parents. Let them see the deepest gift, which is how faith is lived out in life. Let them see, because they're watching, right? Where did they learn all those salty words, right? It wasn't the school bus, right? Sometimes it was. Um, let them learn the good. And that brings me to the thing that y'all are saying, oh my gosh, God has given me this responsibility of teaching my children what the faith is to be lived out, and I am an imperfect person, and so how could I ever do this? Well, here comes the second thing that Mary and Joseph would teach us. They would teach us that we need a community. We need a community. God would teach us that. Because when God calls Mary and says, I have chosen you out of all of time um, and everyone on this earth to be the mother of my son, he says, you're going to need a friend. And he sends her to talk to Elizabeth. And so Mary goes. Mary has said yes. It's a faithful yes. But she is still afraid. She still doesn't know how this is going to work out. And she goes to see Elizabeth, which was quite a journey. And when she sees Elizabeth, Elizabeth is so overjoyed. And the words that she speaks to Mary are such a blessing to her that after she's with Elizabeth, that's when Mary can sing. So when we have the Magnificat, that comes about because she's with a friend who says, this is joy and this is amazing. Forget the fear. God will take care of that. You are blessed among all women, right? And when Mary hears Elizabeth's words, her interpretation, then she can sing. Y'all, God is reminding us we need each other. This is not a solo endeavor parenting. This is a community enterprise among God's people that we are here for each other. We're going to baptize a little boy at 11 o'clock, and we're going to remind the parents that we're here for them. We've got their backs. And I see this in a million ways, you guys. Have, have y'all seen uh, when Finn and Liam, the little twins, they're here at this service. Have y'all seen how the Dove girls, they're slightly older, and they'll take their hands and bring them up for children's time? and they'll sit them on their laps. This is how we do it, Finn and Liam. They'll, they'll take them up to communion and show them how to hold their hands out like this. Um, they're not related. But Shelby and Natalie have seen that Finn and Liam need older sisters to help them learn how to be in God's house and how to grow in their faith, and they're doing that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I... Um, David Thompson, who's right now not here because he's in the nursery with one of his grandkids or a couple. And I've seen him in there when I have, if I ever have a Sunday off, I go walk around and I look at, I say hi to all the kids. And David will be in there sitting on the ground and he'll just have like a pile of kids. They're either around him and he's playing a game or they're tumbling all over him. And I love to see several of my kids have been in there at some point with him. And he's like a bonus grandpa to them teaching them about the faith. We have tons of parents who teach and lead in children's church and, and youth. But what touches me is that we also have a lot of y'all whose kids are grown or who don't have kids yet, and you're giving your time so that the parents can sit in here and listen to God's word and sing God's music, right? And so think about, I see him back there. Bobby's back there. Um, Mitra's back there, Joanna's back there, Judy's back there, Mike Benz is back there in the youth, right? I could go on and on about the ways that I see y'all doing this for each other. T today, Jean Ann was like, here are some dairy-free 
um, cinnamon rolls for your son Asher because he's dairy-free so he can have one. We're here for each other, friends. It's how it's supposed to be. And if you are needing that, this is the place we find it. So what you do is you just look for somebody. You can pick anyone. I'm looking at faces, you're not gonna make a bad choice, okay? You could pick someone and say, um, how is it that you deal with this? Or adult kids, how is it that, see that lady at the Goodwill, she didn't have that community. But you do. And if you ask someone for their advice, they are gonna be flattered, number one, right? And they're gonna, you're gonna build a relationship. So if you're longing for it, this is the place to find it. Go out. Like, like Mary was like, I'm going to Encarim to go talk to Elizabeth and find a friend. Go find a friend. Invite them to be a mentor, to be a coach, to just be an encourager. And y'all, if somebody comes up to you and says, how do I do this? Be ready to be like, okay, well, this is what I did, and I'm not perfect, you know? So we do our best to model our faith for our kids. We do that throughout their lives. We have a community so that when we're weak, the community has our back. And finally, we trust that God will be with us when we are weak, will give us the resources we need, will provide when we're at the end of what we can do. God has always done that. And parenting in the end reminds me a lot of a, a Navajo rug. Have y'all ever seen a Navajo rug woven? They're beautiful. Um, they're bold patterns, and they're woven by hand, and they're, they're works of art. But if you look at the corner of every Navajo rug, you will see a very obvious flaw. And if you ask the artisan, what happened there? You know, did your hand slip? They will tell you it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. But that imperfect place is there because that's where the Spirit enters and moves in and out. It's a very biblical concept that it's our imperfections and our weaknesses where God moves in and out through us to the world. And so friends, do your very best, right? It's not about the possessions. It's not about the perfection. It's about your heart. It's about living out your faith. It's about providing that model for your kids. It's about this community right here. It's about God helping us when we mess up, because we will, and helping our kids when they mess up, because they will. The imperfect places are the spots where the Spirit moves in and out to the world. May it be so for all of our kids. Let's pray. God, I pray for all the parents here. I thank you for the children and the grandchildren that you have placed in their care. I pray that you would be with them and strengthen their witness. Thank you for the love that they have for their kids. Thank you that your love for our children surpasses even the love that we have for them. Remind us of that constantly. Help us to find our community to make use of it. And Lord, when, when we mess up, when our kids mess up, remind us that we are imperfect, but your spirit moves best through weak, imperfect people. 
May those cracks be places where you shine the most brightly in our lives. We ask this in your amazing name. Amen.